Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, I am crazy glad to have you join us here this morning. For those who are counting, this is week number seven in the coronavirus online church services. Well, last week we started a brand new series. Uh, As we're making our way through the book of Nehemiah, we've entitled it Rebuilding Broken Dreams. And I want you to know that if you're the best of the best, if you're the cream of the crop, if you graduated top of your class, uh, if you're the star athlete, if you're the decorated officer, if you're mom of the year, if you're in a category all on your own, I want to tell you, God can still use you. So don't be discouraged. God can still use you. In 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven, it says that God doesn't often use uh, the wealthy, uh, the mighty, the strong, uh, the wise. What we discover is that God often uses just ordinary people. And what we're going to discover in this series is that God actually did use an ordinary guy to fulfill his purposes. So if you're feeling um, this morning that, well, you're just an average guy, an ordinary guy, a gal, well, let me tell you, you are the perfect candidate uh, that God wants to use this morning. And we're going to discover that as we make our way through the book of Nehemiah, an ordinary guy uh, working his job, having a steady income. When we finish the book, we're going to go like, wow, God used just the average ordinary guy to accomplish some great things. God took a a nobody, I guess, and made a, a somebody. And it's amazing when someone is willing to uh, subject themselves or submit themselves, actually, to the will of the Father and give him all the credit. It's amazing what God can do. And so it kind of removes all of our excuses that we use. You know, our, maybe we feel like we don't have the abilities or we're inadequate for the job. But actually, when you see how God can just take an ordinary guy, we can't use those excuses uh, anymore. And so if you're listening uh, this morning, and you feel like maybe you have been created for something more. If you feel that there's a bigger purpose to than what you, the average person lives. If you feel like God has a bigger plan for your life, then really this series is uh, for you. Because we're going to be reminded all through the series that God chooses to use just ordinary people. And uh, you and I may look ordinary to everybody else. We may not feel exceptionally gifted or talented, but we're the exact kind of people that God wants to use to fulfill his purposes. So if you have your Bibles or some kind of electronic device, I want to encourage you to open up to the, uh, to the book that is named after really what I would think is the shortest man in the Bible. Now, I know earlier in our children's ministry, they were talking about Zacchaeus. You know, we know that song. If you grew up in church, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? He climbed up the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. So I think Zacchaeus always gets the credit of being the shortest man in the Bible. But I actually think Nehemiah is the shortest man in the Bible. And you may say, Donald, where do you get that from? From your Hebrew studies? Well, if you just look at the name, his name says Nehemiah. Get it? Knee, hi, Maya. Okay, I can hear you groaning from your living room, so that's just one of those bad pastor jokes for sure. Well, before we uh, start to read right there in chapter 1, what is it we know again about this guy named Nehemiah? Because we don't know who his mother is. We don't know anything about his childhood. 
We don't know anything about his adolescent years or his teen years. I mean, his college life is left up to our own imagination. Um, we don't know if he had any sisters. We don't know if he had any aunts and uncles. Uh, we, know he has a, we know the name of his dad. We know he has a brother. He may have had more brothers, but we only know that he has one uh, brother for sure. And we know he has a job. And so with that, we're kind of all on the same page reading his story. Like nobody has any more information than someone else who maybe has read the story uh, multiple times. So Nehemiah, uh, chapter 1, we're going to pick it up right again with uh, verse 1 right there. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. So, right off the bat, we know these are Nehemiah's words. These are not things that have been passed down through the generation. These are the words of Nehemiah. It's almost like um, we're getting a peek into his diary, his memoirs. It says here, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And so what we have here is kind of an ordinary day. <laughs> um, Nehemiah's brother, I don't know if he was on vacation, I don't know if he was visiting friends, but uh, he took a trip to Jerusalem, he and, and some companions, and now they're coming back, and I kind of picture maybe around the supper table or something, and, and uh, Jeremiah or Nehemiah just brings it up. So, how are things uh, in my homeland? Like, how are th- what are, you know, what's happening? Sort of like I have been this past week. I, you know, most of you know, I'm uh, a Nova Scotia boy, and so I've been calling my friends in Nova Scotia. How are things? What's going on? Is there any way that I can help? And, you know, I'm basically 2,000 kilometers away from Nova Scotia, but I still have this desire to know how people are doing uh, in my uh, home province. And I don't know if Nehemiah is thinking that this conversation is just going to be kind of a little bit of small talk, but uh, when he receives the news, it's definitely not good news. It's actually painful news. It's the kind of news that when you receive, it's like someone just kind of punch you in the stomach. And that's how Nehemiah felt. Uh, when I was reading through this again, I was picturing myself maybe in that room. Maybe they're around the supper table, and, and Nehemiah is kind of says, so how are things going in Jerusalem? And maybe there's just silence because nobody really wants to say anything. And all of a sudden, someone does break the silence and says to Nehemiah, actually, the place is a wreck. The walls are broken. It almost seems like they can't even be repaired. The gates have been uh, burned. There's no protection for any, anyone. The people are in distress. There's trouble in every corner of the city. And it doesn't look like this mess can even be cleaned up. There's no plans to even try to clean it up. There are no jobs. There's no security. No plan to change things. Nehemiah, it's a real mess uh, they're defenseless. They're, they're like an open target for everyone. In fact, I was reading in a commentary this week that the road that led into Jerusalem, oftentimes you would find corpse all on the road because of a strong anti-Semitism that existed back then, just like even today. In pockets, there's a strong uh, anti-Semitic feelings with certain people. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? I mean, ne- Nehemiah has just heard some devastating news Nehemiah, what do you do? What did you do when you heard of the news? Well, it says here, if we continue reading, in verse 4, it says, When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. Interesting. What does Nehemiah do? He sat down and he wept. 
I mean, Nehemiah is about a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. He's got a good job. He's got a steady income. Life in some ways is quite comfortable for him and his family. But it really bothered him that his people were in such a mess that they were really hurting. And he doesn't just brush it off. He doesn't say, well, I'm, I can't do anything about it. They're a thousand miles away. What, what can I be expected to do? No, we discover that his heart literally is broken and he feels the ache in his heart. And honestly, that got me thinking, Donald, what is it that truly breaks your heart? What is it that leaves you a mess because of a certain situation? Um, I, maybe I could ask you the same question. What is it that breaks your heart? What leaves you in a mindset that says, I have got to do something about this. I, I just can't leave it that way. Well, Nehemiah is faced with a situation. He's like, I, what, do I, what do I do? I, I see the plight of my people, but what, what can I do? And so when you look at it, you find out he sat down because honestly, it's too much. It's too much to bear. I, I, I can't have it. You know, sometimes you receive bad news. Somebody say, hey, maybe you should sit down. You know, because sometimes you're standing and your, your knees get weak and they buckle and they'll say, sit down. And so Nehemiah says he, he sat down. And it says, and he wept for some days. He says he mourned. So he sat down, he wept, and he mourned for days. It goes on to say that not only did he sit down, not only did he weep, not only did he mourn, but he also fasted. Then it says not only did he sit down and weep and mourn for days and was fasting, but he prayed before the God of heaven. I'd like to read for you his prayer, what he prayed. You know, I'm often asked the question, Donald, how does prayer work? Like, tell me, how does it work? And uh, if I'm quite honest, I usually say, I don't know. I don't know really how it works. I do know that prayer is work, and those who work at prayer know that prayer works. And so Nehemiah prays. So follow along as I read, or you can read aloud maybe in your homes with me. Let's start off. It says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. Can I just stop right there for one second? To me, that doesn't seem like a normal response. Look how he starts off with, with his prayer, like he's adoring God. Like, I don't see him saying, Lord, what is going on? <laughs> I mean, these are desperate times. What are you up to? You know, what are you doing? Why are you letting this happen to your people? Lord, this is not right. Lord, this is not fair. Like, that seems to be a normal response after you've just heard news like this. But Nehemiah goes into describing God and that he's a God of his word. It's amazing to me. Let's, let's continue on reading. He says, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear 
the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servant, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelite, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, the laws that you gave your servants. I'm like, what are you doing, Nehemiah? It's not your fault that Jerusalem is in the condition that it is. I mean, Nehemiah, you don't even live in the city. How can you take some of that blame? Nehemiah, you're the good guy. But I tell you, I can identify with Nehemiah because I find that the older I get, the more I realize, really, how sinful I am. See, at 20 years of age, I thought I was really pretty good, even compared to God's standards. Like, I, man, I thought I was good. But as I get older, I realize, really, how guilty of much more sin than I previously thought. Pick it up in verse 7 again. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizons, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. You know, Israel has an incredible history. And God chooses them as his beloved people. I mean, they're the apple of his eye. And yet, what we discover, all that Israel has going for it, it still kind of just goes on and does her own thing. Decides not to follow God. Hey, I think I can do life better on my own. And they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of stats that they can look back at and say, what were we thinking? Because it seems like every time we think we can do it on our own, we fall flat on our face. But it seems like when we follow God, he goes before us. And I believe that when we follow God, he, he has that desire to prosper us. I, I, that doesn't mean materially, but just a blessed life. I mean, how many times have I've done it what Israel has done? You know, I know what my life is like when I follow God, when I'm faithful to what he's asked me to do. I also know the other side. I'm like, so why would I go to the other side? When the stats proved to me over and over again, when I follow God, when I walk closely with him, what life is like. And so we find here, Israel's a mess. Morally a mess, spiritually a mess, emotionally a mess. I mean, sure, Israel has a great history, but they can't rely on that. Is it, actually, it is possible. It is possible to be a child of God and live in a quagmire of defeat and no victory. I mean, you just look at people's lives. You know, look at Israel's lives. They're a mess. 
But it doesn't mean God can't rebuild broken people, broken hearts, and broken dreams. In fact, I want to tell you, there is nothing, I can say that emphatically, there is nothing that you are facing that God can't turn around, that God cannot rebuild, no matter how big the brokenness seems. Nothing that you're facing, nothing that your family is facing, there's nothing that your children are facing, or your church is facing, nothing that your teenager is facing. There's nothing that your mother did, or your father did to you, or or an uncle, or or your wife, or your husband, or your child. I, I don't care how difficult your job is, or how hard school is. There's nothing that you're facing today that God can't turn around in a moment. I mean, we look at what Nehemiah does here. It says he, he confessed, he fasted, and he prayed. And the word confession is more than just words, by the way. It's actually a change in action. I was going this way, <laughs> and I confess this is not the right way. But God, I'm going to actually follow you. <laughs> I'm going to go in a different direction by following you. And I think that sometimes we get you know, a lot of junk in our life, and it keeps us pushing this way. But I think if we just took time to confess some of that junk and the mess, and say, you know, God, <laughs> I confess that. I'm actually going to go this way. I'm actually going to follow you. Confess it and, and, and put it away. You know, if you would just say, please, Lord, help me. I need your grace. Oh, God, I need your grace. I've sinned. God, have mercy on me. I want to remind you again, God is for you. You heard it last week. You heard it in the children's uh, teaching time before our service this morning. God is for you. And I know that because of the sacrifice that was made for you. We actually have victory through Christ because of what he did for us. The sacrifice has already been made so you and I don't have to live in brokenness. So I want to encourage you to call on him today. If you're listening here and you find yourself broken and far from God, can I just encourage you to call out to him? We say this a lot around here. We quote the verse that says, whoever calls. And some of you might be thinking, I've been traveling this way for so long, I don't think God could hear me. I'm telling you right now, no, no matter how long you've been traveling, this road of, of destruction and brokenness, just the words of you crying out to God, God, save me from this mess. And God put you on a different path. And so, even in your home, where you're listening, maybe you're listening in the car, your bedroom, your office, if you would just pray, Lord Jesus, I'm a mess. I'm broken. I can't go on. My heart's broken. My life is broken. My dreams are broken. God, I, I just want to give you my life. I want to start fresh and new again. Thank you for dying for me. 
Thank you for rising again and leaving that tomb empty. I give my life to you. You know, if you were to pray a prayer like that, you know, in your own words, the Bible says you've become a part of the family of God. And you're watching here, we have an online host there that could answer any of your questions. If you want to contact us later in the week, we can help you send you, you know, what it is to, to be a follower of Jesus. If you need a Bible, we'll send it to you so you can kind of dive into his word. But I want to welcome you to the family of God if you prayed that. That is the mission of our church, by the way, is to connect people to Jesus and to one another. We know it's a game changer when you're connected with Jesus. We know life is better, too, when you do it together. So if you receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. In fact, as we said, it's better to do life together. No better time to get into a small group, you know, eight to ten people. They gather each week. They pray for each other. They do life together. They journey together. It's a great place as well to ask maybe a lot of the questions that you may have even this morning. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's nobody.